The FFIEC has just released its much-anticipated cybersecurity assessment tool, a tool designed to help banking institutions of all sizes assess and identify risks and weaknesses in their cybersecurity preparedness. Today, I'm joined by Tim Sagerson, Deputy Director of the Office of Examination and Insurance at the National Credit Union Administration, which is part of the FFIEC, to explain the components of this tool, how regulators expect institutions to use it, and guidelines the FFIEC has provided to help institutions understand how the tool can be used to identify current and emerging cyber risks. Hi, I'm Tracy Kitten with Information Security Media Group. So, Tim, the release of this tool, as I mentioned in the introduction, should not come as a surprise to credit unions and banks. Banking regulators have been talking about this anticipated tool for quite some time. But the tool has a number of different components. Can you walk us through some of the components that stand out to you? Sure. The tool itself is probably the most critical component. That has two basic pieces to it. The first piece walks an institution through an assessment of its inherent risks and its inherent risk profile. And the second part of it then allows the institution to gauge its level of cybersecurity preparedness in relation to its risk profile through a maturity uh, protocol that we've built into the tool. In addition to that tool, um, we have a user's guide that is incorporated into the tool itself that walks an institution through how to use the tool. We also have a high-level overview for executives and senior leaders within the organization, such as CEOs and the board of directors. And then we put together a few appendices to provide some reference material and to assist with the terminology. Appendix A maps the baseline of the tool, which is the lowest rung of the maturity protocol, to the FFIEC handbooks. Those handbooks are well-established industry expectations and guidance that we've provided and updated over the years. Appendix B, the second appendix, takes the tool and maps that to the components of the NIST cybersecurity framework, which was released in uh, February of last year. And then finally, um, we added an Appendix C, um, which provides a glossary of terms so non-technology folks that are reviewing the tool, such as executives and senior leaders within the organization, can understand the terminology a little bit more effectively. So um, those are the major pieces of the tool. I think the, uh, again, tool itself is really what we spent an incredible amount of time and effort in combined between the agencies. So Tim, what obligations do institutions have to use this tool and what expectations will regulators have for the use of this tool? That's a great question. The tool is an optional tool. There is no mandatory expectation for it. Each regulator is addressing implementation based on the unique needs of its segment of the marketplace. However, the tool itself is really supposed to be a tool that helps institutions address this growing concern, which is a top priority across all the agencies, including NCUA, in an effective, measurable, and repeatable way. So it's really what I would call a reference that each agency will be using in various ways. For NCUA, our plan is to, over the long term, likely uh, June of 2016, incorporate the tool into our examination approach. So and we want to be clear about that because our goal is to give institutions a significant amount of time to review the tool and get comfortable with it and to spend a significant amount of time immersing our examiners both into the concepts of cybersecurity as well as the tool itself. The overall expectation is that an institution should have some type of cybersecurity approach. This tool helps institutions that have an informal approach structure it more effectively. Institutions that have 
fully matured frameworks and approaches may find this tool useful to identify if there are particular areas of the risk management cycle that their approach does not have or doesn't cover, I guess, effectively. But again, we're not uh, suggesting that if an institution has a fully mature approach that they shouldn't keep using that. Tim, something that stood out to me, and of course, as you've mentioned, there's quite a bit that's posted on the FFIE website about this new cybersecurity tool. So I'm sure over the course of the next days and weeks, we'll all have more questions. But something that stood out to me was the fact that the FFIEC has actually posted a video, which is a webinar that walks through how the tool was developed. What are some of the key trends in cyber threats that are noted in that video? That's a good question. And one of the things that we emphasize in the video is that existing vulnerabilities and legacy software are still the vast majority of areas that create problems, either uh, intrusions or attacks or exfiltration of data by institutions and other business organizations uh, around the country. In addition to that, and I think just to step back again, some of the uh, vulnerabilities we've seen over the last year that were very pervasive were legacy tools, software, and systems that, again, uh, have created uh, or where we've identified vulnerabilities that have existed for a long period of time. I think that's a key issue, and it's not easy for every institution to instantly uh, patch vulnerabilities. There are some considerations around that, but rapid vulnerability mitigation is something that is important for all institutions. Again, one of the things that we've seen is that technology, particularly in the financial services area, changes and changes on a, on a rapid pace. And the delivery of financial services continues to evolve in many ways more advanced than other areas of the business world by electronic means within the financial services realm. So as new technologies roll out, there are going to be new vulnerabilities and criminals and hackers that are going to be looking for ways to exploit those vulnerabilities. It's a very dynamic environment. I think as a result of that, um, what we've tried to do is to build some dynamic considerations within the tool and we'll be really working with our institutions to make sure that their approaches are dynamic as well. Lastly, one of the things that we've seen emerging over time is what's referred to in the slide deck as a blurring of the lines between cyber actors. And I think this is especially important for smaller and medium-sized institutions to consider. There has been a commoditization or a commercialization of a lot of the tools that can be used to attack an institution or to attack vulnerabilities within an institution's systems. And those are being sold actively to people who want to use them, oftentimes rented as well. So there are services out there, and there are literally a Walmart, so to speak, on the black market for attack tools. What would historically cyber criminals may be engaged either directly or indirectly, say, by a politically oriented group to create disruptions within a marketplace. So there could be combinations of actors. Actors could be making money off of their skill sets by selling packets to less skilled people. And I think my vision in the future is that we probably can expect to see a growth in folks that are using these prepackaged tools and services to conduct cybercrime. So my concern and our concern is that we'll see a growth in that, and most likely those folks or those criminals would hone their skills, so to speak, on institutions that they would perceive as being more vulnerable. And that's where I think we want to focus on making sure that our institutions maintain their levels of security and are evolving their programs to meet those changing conditions in the, the cybersecurity environment. 
Something else that's noted in the video that, that kind of came through and wasn't explicitly mentioned is the fact that a lot of the vulnerabilities that the FFIC is talking about, whether they be these nation state attacks that you mentioned or attacks that are waged to perpetrate fraud, social engineering vulnerabilities was something that, that caught my attention. A lot of it relates to general consumer threats or vulnerabilities. Does the tool include components related to obligations that institutions have for consumer education? It does touch on that. I think the key here is that it's consumer, but it's also personal individuals. And organizations are made up of individuals as well. A lot of uh, what we've seen is, again, uh, growing uh, diversity in how we uh, conduct our business. We have people connecting and interconnecting through the Internet around the world and across the country. Employees are telecommuting and bringing their own devices to work or working from their own devices at home. And uh, they can, like a consumer, be every bit as vulnerable. A big part of the tool that we have really takes what I would call a holistic, comprehensive approach towards risk management, very much like any other risk management approach um, that you would take for a specific major segment of your business operation. And embedded in that is the educational and skill set components um, that are necessary and that drills down both from a cultural awareness perspective as well as a situational awareness perspective down all the way to the employees and the consumers that are using the institution as well. Tim, would you say that banking regulators are less concerned about fraud and more concerned about cyber attacks generally, even those that might not pose an immediate fraud risk? Um, I'd hate to split hairs on, on that issue. As regulators, we have to take a multifaceted approach. One is to protect our own assets and our human capital and assets within our organizations. One is to protect the institutions or to take steps to ensure that the institutions that we regulate are protected. In addition to that, the consumers that they provide service to are reasonably protected. And third, we have to look at the financial services system from a national critical infrastructure perspective. The financial services system as a whole represents a critical component of the national economic well-being of the United States. So while uh, we are concerned about fraud, which typically would affect an institution or group of institutions based on the type of campaign that occurs, we also have to look at disruption and destruction of systems, critical backbone systems that are shared among financial service providers as well as broad-scale disruptions that could create either instability or a loss of uh, consumer and public confidence in the financial services sector. So while fraud is ever-present on our minds, there are additional considerations that, that we have to take into account that are broader than the specific single institution in addition to the consumers that we need to make sure are adequately protected. Tim, I'd like to thank you again for your time today. This has been very informative. And as I mentioned before, I'm sure as more institutions have time to kind of review the tool and, and walk through some of what's included on the website, we'll have more questions to ask you in the future. Thank you. Again, we've just heard from Tim Sagerson of the NCUA. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Tracy Kitten.